listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth. Catholic Radio for your soul in North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. Good afternoon and welcome to this recorded, pre-recorded Good News Show here on KTH 910 AM, Guadalupe Radio Network. We're glad you're with us. And today is Memorial Day, and so we are off work. Uh, my name is Dave Palmer, along with Cecil Anderson. Hi, Cecil. Hello. All right. In addition to Memorial Day, a couple of days ago, uh, Cecil celebrated her birthday. I so did. happy birthday. Thank we you. Did some fun stuff at the office we on did. Friday, which, you know, I always find these pre recorded shows interesting because you got to kind of move your brain around because we're recording this on Friday yes. and it's airing on Monday. Yep. And so uh, what are you, what do you think you'll be doing on Memorial Day or <laughs> what do you predict you'll be doing on Monday? Well, actually for once in my life, I have a plan and assuming everything goes to plan. First time in your first, life? First, <laughs> first time in my life, I have planned ahead. Uh, I should be hopefully with my young adult group as from St. Philip's, we're going on a mini pilgrimage on Memorial Day and hopefully okay. at this very moment, we will be inside of St. Patrick's Cathedral in downtown Fort Worth going to mass. Probably not listening to the radio. Pro- hopefully not listening to the radio. Yeah, that'd be a little disruptive. That would be bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think there's a lot of people, including myself, that since Memorial Day, you know, was instituted many, many decades ago, we kind of lose track of what it's all about. I mean, uh, I, I sometimes, a lot of people think it's a day to be with friends and family and have a hot dog or a hamburger. So I actually looked up, uh, what is Memorial Day? And I know you have a prayer that you're going to share as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Memorial Day is a federal holiday in the United States for honoring and mourning the military personnel who have died in the performance of their military duties while serving in the United States Armed Forces. The holiday is observed on the last Monday of May. And of course, today is the 31st of May, so it can't get any any laster than the 31st. And so, uh, yeah, there is a tendency to you know, consider this, it's a day off and, you know, let's have a picnic and nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, uh, it is a a solemn uh, day where we remember those men and women who died to preserve our freedom. Mm, So may God bless them and we pray for them. And so uh, let's go ahead and say our prayer. All right. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gracious God, on this Memorial Day weekend, we remember and give thanks for those who have given their lives in service for our country. When the need was greatest, they stepped forward and did their duty to defend the freedoms that we enjoy and to win the same for others. O oh God, you yourself have taught us that no greater, no love is greater than that which gives itself for another. Those honored dead gave the most precious gift they had, life itself, for loved ones and neighbors, for comrades and country, and for us. Help us to honor their memory by caring for the family members they have left behind, by ensuring that their wounded comrades are properly cared for, by being watchful caretakers of freedoms, which they gave their lives for, and by demanding that no other young men and women follow them to a soldier's grave unless the reason is worthy and the cause is just. Holy One, help us to remember that freedom is not free. There are times when its cost is indeed dear. Never let us forget those who paid so terrible a price to ensure that our freedom would be our legacy. Through their name, though their names may fade with the passing of generations, may we never forget what they have done. Help us to be worthy of their sacrifice. 
Oh God, help us to be worthy. Amen. So. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Spirit amen. amen. Uh, did you ever see the movie Saving Private Ryan? I've only seen bits of it. I've not seen it. I've seen a lot of war movies. D-Day. Yeah. Um, the Great Escape. Yeah. Yeah. Saving Private Ryan, the, like the first 15, 20 minutes is about the storming the beach of Normandy. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it just intense. And it just makes me realize that uh, the, the men, uh, I, don't know, I don't think there are any women that, that stormed Normandy, but you know, the men, the people that stormed Normandy, uh, they were going, basically going into an almost certain death. I mean, they were, they were, they were meeting with a, a lot of fire and uh, it just, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's amazing to me to think of the, the bravery and the courage and the love that these people had. So, all right. Um, we are down to just a couple minutes here in our introductory section. I want to let you know who is on the program today. It's a good program. You know, as we talk about memorializing those who have died in, in protection of our freedom, uh, a lot of um, babies have died due to abortion, as you know. And in a, just a moment, Jonathan Sines, the president of Texas Values, is going to be on to talk about the heartbeat uh, bill that was uh, signed, I, I believe, by uh, Governor Abbott and it's uh, it's a good one. It's not you know perfect because it, it, there's still uh, you know it's once a heartbeat is detected, uh, you know abortion is not going to be legal in Texas, and, and that's that's a good thing that we're we're making steps towards the complete abolition of of uh, abor of abortion, and also well, we're going to talk a little bit about this um, Mississippi case that's going to go to the Supreme Court, and it, it could have the potential for overturning Roe v. Wade, and then later in the hour uh, I'm going to share with you an interview that we did uh, with Dr. Irene Alexander from the University. University of Dallas and our dear friend Rowena Ignacio mm -hmm. and it's about uh, an apostolate that I, Irene has started called Adored for Life and basically helping women uh, have better marriages mm -hmm. and you know we of course time shift again we've already done the interview I thoroughly enjoyed it it was really good I, it was yeah. very interesting Irene had a lot of just interesting things to think about and to share, and I was captivated the entire time. Mm -hmm. very... And just as a little teaser, and this is just one thing that comes out of it. She has this statistic that says, uh, I, I find interesting, it's, you know, from a male's perspective especially, uh, what, what, 80% of the problems in marriage are caused by what? Okay, that's just a little teaser. You know the answer, right? <laughs> I do know the answer. Okay, and uh, <laughs> For once. Uh, and so, all right, so we have got to go again. Um, I hope you're having a blessed Memorial Day, whatever you're doing. Uh, this is the Good News Show here on KTH 910 AM, pre-recorded. Got a great uh, program for you, and we'll be back live again next Monday. So thank you for listening. All right, this is our Memorial Day special. It's all pre-recorded, so no phone calls. Happy to have on the line with me uh, a friend uh, who runs an outstanding organization based uh, down in Austin, Jonathan Sines, president, founder of Texas Values. You can find them online at txvalues.org, txvalues.org. Jonathan, how you doing? I know we're pre-recording this, but it's Memorial Day, so I hope you're having a good day and enjoying a grilled hot dog or hamburger or doing something fun today. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, take it for what it's worth, but I am working today because today is the last day of the legislative session, and even though it's uh, a holiday, if you will, every other year our office is open and we give our staff the opportunity to pick another day, but it's the last day of the legislative session, so we've got our work to do. Yeah, and I always catch myself, people, uh, you know, I hear I talk about, you know, hamburgers and hot dogs and all that, and that's, of course, not what Memorial Day is about, and so we do remember those uh, who, yep. who gave their lives, and uh, and also, you know, of course, I think Memorial Day is primarily for service uh, people and those who sacrificed, but uh, we're going to talk about some other uh, folks that we will memorialize today as we talk about the unborn 
and let's start off talking about the uh, Governor Abbott's recent signature and uh, signing of the Pro-Life Heartbeat Act. Uh, it's being called, some people are saying it's the strongest pro-life uh, legislation in the country. And so your, your general thoughts about, about this particular uh, legislation. Well, look, I mean, that's what President Biden's administration is saying. Obviously, they have come out in opposition to this pro-life law, but they're saying that Senate Bill 8, the Texas Heartbeat Act and law, is the strongest, they call it the strictest pro-life law on the issue of abortion in the country. And so, you know, Texas passed a heartbeat law. That's what we're talking about. Bipartisan support. And, you know, earlier, if you will, in the session, the governor, Abbott, tweeted about it several times, posted on social media, and was very public about his support early on. That certainly helped a lot. You've got Senator Brian Hughes in the Senate and Shelby Slauson, who was in her first legislative session from the North Texas area, was the House author of the bill. And so they did a great job. And as I mentioned, bipartisan support for the legislative uh, for the, the legislation. And it was great to see that unity. And, you know, if you think about the issue of a heartbeat, it's one of the really a universal indicator of life. So mm-hmm. if you think about if someone is alive or if someone's in distress, we check for that pulse. They come to the emergency room. We ask if they've got a heartbeat and you look for that monitor of that blip. And so, you know, it should be no different for a child that's in the womb. And so this bill's always been very simple. If a heartbeat can be detected, the baby should be protected. Yeah, amen. And I read on your website the story about this, uh, txvalues.org, and one line caught my attention. It says, uh, Texas carefully crafted a bill that makes it nearly impossible for the courts to stop. Because I know a lot of people say, you know, we, we one step forward, two steps back, whatever, you know, advances or successes or we get, that they're just going to find some way to nullify it. How, how is it that they're, they're protecting against that? Well, no, look, it's important. And we do have some information about this. If you go to txvalues.org, we've got an article, uh, what you need to know about the Texas heartbeat law. We were at that time calling it the heartbeat bill before the governor signed it. And so, but look, we put a lot of thought into how the Texas heartbeat law was written. And no disrespect to other states, but there have been 12 or 13 other states that have passed a heartbeat law. And many of them have been challenged in court and they've never gone into effect or been enforced. And that's unfortunate. Now, that's not our fault on the pro-life side. That's the pro-abortion side being very active and a lot of time having activist judges in the courts that make those decisions. But some of it has gotten our attention to the extent where you think, you know, what people will say, well, if you're going to pass that, though, and it's not going to get held upheld, maybe we should come up with a different strategy. So we did. So the way that the Texas heartbeat law is written is the enforcement mechanism is civil action. So that's someone bringing a lawsuit in court, in state court, against the abortion doctor. So whoever uh, performs the abortion, they're the ones that are held accountable. Anyone in Texas, anyone in the state can file this lawsuit and bring this civil action against the abortion doctor. It it wouldn't be against the mother. Um, It wouldn't be against someone who's a perpetrator of a crime against a woman that leads to her becoming pregnant. Um, It it would be about the abortion doctor or anyone that aids and abets that abortion. And here's why it matters, okay? And again, if I go through this and you didn't catch everything, txvalues.org, what you need to know about the Texas heartbeat law so you can hear it, you can read it for yourself and watch a video about it. But here's the difference. When it comes to constitutional issues, 
the way that there's a violation or you have your constitutional rights infringed upon or impacted, it's if the government is doing something. So you and I don't don't believe that there's a right to an abortion in the Constitution, but that's, if you will, the effect of Roe versus Wade. So the pro-abortion side says, I have a constitutional right to abortion. So when there's a law like this that they feel like infringes upon that, them getting that, the government is the one enforcing it. You have the attorney general, the district attorney, whoever, some government official that's in court that's enforcing this law that says if a heartbeat is detected, the baby has to be protected, and if you perform an abortion, that, that you're held accountable. In this law, we don't have the government doing that. It's private individuals who bring a civil action to stop if they know that there's an abortion that's about to come or one that's already been performed. When the government is out of the equation, you no longer have a legal claim to say that your constitutional rights are violated if you believe that you have a so-called right to an abortion based on the Constitution. So if the government's not in the equation, it makes it difficult, if not impossible, for the normal route for the pro-abortion side to come file a lawsuit with with what's called a pre-enforcement challenge before it ever goes into effect or it's enforced. They file it, and a lot of times courts strike them down and say, oh, just by looking at it, um, we can tell that it's a constitutional violation. And so that's what's different about the Texas law, and it's based in precedent. There's a Louisiana case that deals with this, and it's been upheld in federal court. So we know that it's strong, and we know that's why we're making that statement that it's virtually impossible or it makes it almost impossible um, for it to be struck down in a pre-enforcement challenge mm-hmm. in court. And uh, SBA prohibits, as you say, abortions after the detection of a child's heartbeat. Isn't it also true that every a person who uh, gets an abortion has to have been shown a sonogram. Isn't that already on the books? And so they that's, can't really get around it, right? Law. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah, already state law. And um, so you got to have a sonogram and, and, you know, with this law, the, the doctor has to check for a detectable heartbeat. And here's the thing too, if you think about this practically, right. And, and this might be one of the reasons why not only president Biden, but numerous media outlets and so on are calling uh, the Texas heartbeat law, one of the strongest, um, laws like this in the state, if not the country, because you have to think about when is it that we know a woman is pregnant? I know that there are, you know, there are things that you can buy at the store that deal with hormones and so on. But, but really that key detector, that key moment when, when it's almost like a certainty is when there's a heartbeat. And so if at the most clear certain moment and earliest that you can know that there is a baby alive in there, that's when, abortion is prevented, it, you know, it's virtually covering about, you know, any scenario you can think of or where an abortion would come into an existence uh, practically, particularly in law. And so um, it, it really matters. And so, and to your point, right, there's a sonogram that you have to get. Now there's got, they got to check to see if there's a detectable heartbeat. And a lot of that is because women have come forward and experienced a lot of misinformation and, and manipulation and just flat out been lied to when they go to see someone, a lot of times abortion providers, to find out if they're pregnant. And so, and that's the thing that's interesting. I think that because of so much, so many advancements in technology, we know more about the baby in the womb. We can see it in 3D, in 4D, mm-hmm. and it's just made, I think it's, it's given us that closer contact with the unborn child and, and the humanity of it. And all of that is hard to deny. And there was a hearing we had here at the Texas Capitol where a woman played the audible heartbeat of a baby in the womb. And it just, I mean, it's so striking. And it's, so, it's something, again, that's so universal that we know it when we hear it. We know that that is the sound of a heartbeat of a human being 
And that's where I think it connects with people with all of us, because that's a part of who all of we, um, all of us are. And it, it makes it easy, or at least people understand why, you know what, in this case, that's not right. That baby should be protected. And that's why I think there's been so much support, a lot of young ladies and women coming to testify when the, this issue was, you know, there's polls about it. It pulls very strongly and people don't think of it in terms of how far along is the mother. It's really simple. Well, does the baby have a heartbeat? Can we detect a heartbeat? And if it is, well, that's simple. That that baby should be protected. Yeah. It's also why the other side never talks about following the science when it comes to abortion. Because <laughs> if you follow the science, everybody's pro-life. If you follow, you know, common sense, everybody's pro-life. All right. Now, Jonathan Sines joining us here on a Memorial Day special. We hope that everybody listening is having a great day. And we pray for uh, all those who were memorializing today. Uh, Jonathan's the president of Texas Values. You can find him online at txvalues.org. Let's move to the big Supreme Court picture, and uh, as you know, and I'm sure you're following pretty closely, the Supreme Court court has uh, said that they will uh, review a Mississippi ban on 15-week pregnancies, which many people are saying this might be a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this, Jonathan, and should we be optimistic? Well, it's certainly a possibility, you know, and, and that's why, you know, one of the reasons why we were so involved at Texas Values with the Texas Heartbeat Law, and, and it was, you know, the, our, our top uh, pro-life priority for the session, because we also think that there's a shift or a change in how these things are going to be analyzed at the highest court of the land, the U.S. Supreme Court. But I also don't think we should wait for that to happen to do what's right. And that's why you see a lot of momentum about around some of these pro-life efforts and in and, and wanting such uh, strong and sweeping legislation, uh, even from the moment of conception, it, um, however it is that we can protect at that point. And so no different at the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's interesting to, to note, too, Mississippi is a part of a group of three states, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, that make up what is the Fifth Circuit. That is a collection of states that fall under one authority of a group of federal courts. So the federal court of appeals from the fifth circuit. So however, the court rules on this issue, even if it doesn't straight up um, take on Roe versus Wade will impact how these things are analyzed in Texas as well. But I think we're ready for this. I think we've been ready for it a while, but, and I think the court is ready for it though. When you look at the new judges on the court um, that were um, appointed and that were nominated, excuse me, and confirmed under President Trump, particularly Amy Coney Barrett, uh, I think you could sort of, if you want to count the votes, that the votes are there. But this groundwork's been laid for a while. The Gonzalez versus Carhartt case, they talk in that case about the significance of a detectable heartbeat and using a different analysis and sort of moving away from a big heart of the Roe versus Wade analysis is viability. Can the baby survive outside of the womb? And that's, um, you know, and, and is there an undue burden to a woman? And so a lot of those things have, have sort of to shift a little bit and change in the court's analysis. And so I think that could leave us in a position where you could see that um, that law out of Mississippi being upheld and possibly, if not the striking down, some serious chipping away and, and um, of Roe versus Wade. And so it's going to be real interesting. And, and, and I, you know, it's something to be encouraged by. And but that work's been going on a long time, right? We think Roe versus Wade again, a Texas case, right? Out of yeah. from 1973. That's the year that I was born. Okay, and so every year I think about it a little bit more. 
but it could be real interesting. And a lot of this has to do with having good federal judges in the lower courts that we saw, in my opinion, over the past four years that took the, the bench for the first time in creating that climate where you see public opinion starting to shift as well and becoming more pro-life, if you will. Yeah. Um, l- l- thank you for those comments on that. I want to move on. And I know we've you've got an event, uh, June 16th, that we want to talk about. Before that, though, uh, I'd love to hear your comments on a couple things that I, I think are related. First of all, um, a couple months ago, uh, um, Governor Abbott lifts the, the mandate on masks and everybody on the other side thought that, you know, half the state was going to die because of it. And just the opposite has happened. Everything's been improving since then. And also related to that, if you could comment on the whole threat of uh, what they call vaccine passports. And some people say, my goodness, we may not be able to go to the grocery store or fly or, uh, or, or especially Texas owned businesses, you know, like, uh, well, what are your thoughts? And do you think that's a, a legitimate uh, item that we should be concerned about that they could start issuing passports where you have to show proof of vaccination? Well, I mean, first of all, I've lost count of how many years in a row Texas has received awards for having the best state for business in a variety of different categories that relate to business. And so 12, 13, 14 years in a row, depending on what publication you read, um, Texas just continues to lead the way as far as a robust economy. I mean, I think we're the 10th, uh, if not the ninth largest economy in the world. I think our economy is larger and stronger than Russia, than Australia. I mean, it just is you know, and these are countries and here we are, one of the 50 states. And so, and a lot of that has to do with the leadership of our governor, Greg Abbott. And so a lot was made of the the mask mandate. I mean, obviously the governor's had to deal with all these different decisions because he's been the governor. And so, no, I mean, and and people are ready to get back to business. I think that's helped business continue to survive because it could kind of have this negative effect, right? I mean, yeah, you're, you think you're keeping people safe, if you will, with a mask mandate or some other measures like that. But then, you know, they're having trouble paying their insurance because they don't have a job. And, you know, you got to look at the whole picture. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with some of the decisions and the leadership of our governor. Um, but, you know, they don't always make everybody happy. And so so he's got people asking him to lift the mask mandate, so he does, but then other people that aren't happy. But, yeah, I mean, look, in, in you know, we've seen the evidence from the beginning that the best place for kids to be is in school. And so a lot of these things track what the science says, but for some reason you have people that just got comfortable or feel better. They think, um, you know, if they have a mask on. And so I just think the States continue to, to be strong, to weather a lot of this and will continue to be a leader um, while trying to respect that some people may want to do these things to be safe, but let's not force them to do that. And let's not have the governor, the, excuse me, the government force them to do that either, whether it's the governor or other members of the government. And um, I think a lot of government, governor leaders, government leaders have gotten that message pretty strong. And, you know, and now the governor's come out and said um, that government buildings are not allowed. I mean, they cannot require. So even if the governor doesn't tell you to do it, you're um, now there's a, a rule in place to where none of the government buildings are allowed to do it. So you're not going to be forced by the local government, um, even if they want to go against what the governor says. And so um, did I answer your three questions? Yeah. yeah no, now what about, uh, just real quickly about the, the, the passports. The yeah. Passports. Yeah. The passport. I'm sorry. Um, you know, look, I do think I don't want to downplay people's concern on that, but I don't see any chance of that happening in the state of Texas that we're going to 
um, have some type of enforcement of vaccine passports. Uh, I'm pretty sure the governor's come out and addressed that issue too, and has expressed his opposition to that and that he would fight against that. And I think members of the legislature, if they had to, would step in in whatever way necessary, um, you know, to to push back against those type of efforts at the federal level. And so they'd almost, you know, it almost would set up an interesting situation that I think a lot of state government leaders would like to, you know, be over out there talking about, oh, we would never let that happen. And so, um, you know, but we got to be careful and we've got to watch out what's going on. So, um, so those things don't happen. But I think our state is ready to stand up against that, whether it's private citizens or our state public leaders, if that ever, um, that situation ever reached a level um, where we had to make sure it doesn't go into effect or it's not being enforced. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you look at Texas or Florida versus a California or a uh, Michigan and you realize elections have consequences, <laughs> you know, and who the governors yeah. are and uh, who's representing you, so to speak. All right, Jonathan, well, look, we got to. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know we're about to finish up. Well, let me, and, and I'll segue with you too. Uh, you want to l- learn more about how we're getting an impact and, we're getting results on these issues. We've got a great event. Speaking of the heartbeat law on June 16th, we're having a legislative recap, kind of give a review of what happened during our state legislative session, but also an opportunity to raise a little bit of support for our nonprofit work. If you want to invest in it, but the author of the heartbeat law, Shelby Slauson, she's going to be at our event. Joe T. Garcia's June 16th. It's a historic location. We're going to have a great Tex-Mex dinner out there. We're going to celebrate lives. Not only is Shelby Slauson going to be the author of the Heartbeat Bill, Representative Slauson, but Claire Colwell, who is an abortion survivor, if you can even imagine what that's like. She's written a new book. She's going to come out there June 16th. Go to our website, txvalues.org. You can get the tickets uh, for that evening event. All right. That's a Wednesday, June 16th and over at Joti Garcia's. And that's a beautiful restaurant. If anybody listening has not been over there, they've got a, a gorgeous patio and uh, it's you, you, you got you got to go. So, Jonathan, thanks uh, for telling us about that event. I, I hope many of our listeners will take you up on that and go buy tickets and uh, hear from those two wonderful uh, you know, folks who are going to be, be there at the event. In addition to you and as well. Uh, all I'll right. be there. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, yeah, well, thanks. Uh, I know there's so much more we could talk about, but we've uh, got to go and take a quick break. Uh, again, I just invite yep. everybody to visit the website, txvalues.org, txvalues.org. Jonathan and his team are fighting uh, for uh, Judeo-Christian values in Texas, for freedom, for religious liberty, and so uh, they're definitely worth supporting. Wow. And there's been there's been some great movement on those issues as well. We'll cover them at our event. But I also just want to say thank you, Dave. We're about halfway through the year. It just continues. The years continue to add up that, you know, we, you and I get to work together. I know you came down to the Capitol um, earlier this year. We had a little good time together. But yeah. uh, just thank you to you and your listeners for seeing value in what we do, but also in standing up for our Catholic beliefs. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Right back at you, txvalues.org. And we will continue with our Memorial Day Good News program in just a minute. And I got a wonderful guest by the name of Irene Alexander and also Rowena Ignacio is with us as well. We're going to talk about uh, uh, counseling for women when it comes to to, to marriage. And so it should be a very interesting uh, uh, Catholic-focused interview with these two wonderful young ladies. And uh, Thistle's going to be joining us in that conversation as well. Should be a lot of fun. We'll be right back.
This is an emergency message for the men of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Jesus, the divine heart surgeon, needs to perform an urgent heart transplant on you. As Ezekiel 36.26 says, in order to remove your stony hearts and replace them with redeemed hearts. Your appointment at the men's conference has been scheduled for Friday, June 11th at 6 p.m. and Saturday, June 12th at 9 a.m. There's a conference discount if registered by June 1st. All the Saturday meals will be included. Go to takingthenextstep.org to register. What's wrong, Sissel? I'm just so sad that I have to wait so long for our summer speaker series with Father John Ricardo on August 5th. I'm so excited. Well, you know, the summer months are so fast. They go by quickly. It'll be here before you know it. I guess. But one way you can pass the time is to invite your friends to get their tickets. That's a great idea. I can invite my prayer group, my best friend, my great aunt Ruth, my cousin. Oh, boy, I have no idea how long that list is going to go on. Go to summerspeakerseries.com and get your tickets to see Father Ricardo on August 5th. Again, summerspeakerseries.com. Welcome back to the Good News Show here on Memorial Day. I hope you are having a great day. And as I mentioned before, uh, we are pre-recording this program the week before, but we have got a great segment now. I'm really excited about this because I think this pertains pretty much to everybody, whether you're married or single, uh, in a great marriage or a struggling marriage. Uh, it's going to be something that I think you're interested in hearing about. And I am just uh, in a studio in a control room filled with wonderful ladies. <laughs> and so I first of all want to thank Rowena Ignacio, our super volunteer, and uh, she is uh, married and has three young boys. And she sent me an email recently uh, saying she had an idea for an interview, and it's uh, Dr. Irene Alexander, who is an assistant professor of moral theology at the University of Dallas. She's also a devoted wife, a mother of five children, ranging from three to ten years old. And uh, she is also a relationship coach and a specialist in sexual complementarity. And so this is a uh, topic that immediately appealed to me because I'm married and no marriage is perfect and there's ups and downs and struggles and joys. And so I thought, wow, this would be really great to talk about. So we're going to do kind of an extended uh, 25, 30 minute conversation with Rowena and uh, Dr. Irene Alexander. And she said, I can call her by Irene from now on. And so, uh, and also Cecil Anderson is here as well. She's uh, single, probably will be married one day, but she's our resident single person for this interview. So welcome to everybody. And uh, Dr. Uh, Irene Alexander, thanks for being here. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so why did this, Rowena, hit your radar, and uh, how did you guys get to know each other? Tell us what y'all's background is. Great. So, um, yeah, always excited to explain how I'm connected with people and mm-hmm. why I would bring them into the Catholic radio world. Uh, well, both. so she has five children, I have three. Two of our children are actually in school together at the Highland School, mm. and um, and I know her husband, who is a, the theology professor over at, or excuse me, theology teacher to the high schoolers at the Highland yeah. School. So that's kind of our, that's our connection. Um Thanks to social media, um, Irene randomly sent me a message over Facebook Messenger uh, telling me about a new ministry that she's that she's created and established for Catholic wives and moms who are wanting more out of their marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, she said wives and moms. Yeah. Um, not again, not that this is just for wives and moms, but I was reading, I was reading her description, looked through her website and just, I mean, I had chills. I was literally like, this is divine intervention, yeah. not specifically because of where I am journeying in my Catholic um, wifehood and motherhood, but because I just know this is so... Um, <sighs> sorely needed, sorely lacking maybe, and some other Catholic wives and moms that I know mm-hmm. who just, um, they want to connect, but they also need like pillars of support yeah. to, to help them understand like how they can be the best 
for themselves so that they can be the best for everybody else that they so graciously serve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I just, I just know a lot of tired, busy moms. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Who are, who are, my also, wife would be one of them. Yeah. Right, so right. That, that's very common. And we should say that the, uh, the ministry apostolate is called Adored for Life, and it's found at adoredforlife.com. So that's a great introduction. Yes. Uh, Irene, tell us, um, you know, obviously you, you got into studying and you got a PhD in moral theology. How does this kind of fit into Connect. your overall education, you know, journey? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, Rowan, I love how you talked about this as showing up with your best feminine self, and that's really what I'm trying to share and, and offer. But here's here's how my, my background fits in with this, is that um, in my studies of moral theology, you know, I, I deeply learned um, Aquinas's you know, um, theology very well, and especially the writings of Pope John Paul II, who mm-hmm. we all know is one of the greatest defenders of marriage in our age. Yes. And um, as I was like reading through his texts and preparing for classes and things like that, I found all these beautiful nuggets of wisdom in his writings that would apply very practically for marriage, but they're kind of buried, scattered throughout his writings. Um, and I thought like, you know what, this would be really cool if I could take these and then apply it. And so um, one of the things that he says, let me just give you an example. This is from Love and Responsibility. And he says that a man uh, wants to give love to his wife, mm-hmm. so that he will be loved. Yeah. And a woman uh, wants to be loved so that she can show love. Okay, and that's really at the heart of what I mean by, what John Paul means by, a complementarity. And I put it this way in my own words, is that a woman yearns to be adored yeah. by the man she admires, right? We want to be pursued, cherished, tenderly loved, right? This is something that's unique to a woman's heart. And on the other side, a man deeply yearns to be admired and respected by his wife. And that's a part of something that's just rooted in our nature. In fact, if you think about how men and women fall in love, people kind of forget this, but there's a kind of a competition um, this is this is just a part of of the natural order, right? Is that the woman is the one who is going to be pursued, and men like women, right? A lot mm-hmm. of them are attracted to many of them, but the question is, who is she going to pick? Yeah, right. Is he so? He's going to pursue her. He's going to put himself out there, right? It's a risk for him to do that because he knows, yeah, she could reject him, right? Yeah. But he has to prove himself as worthy of her heart, and they begin this beautiful friendship, right? And what happens? She ultimately is the one who says yes mm-hmm. to him. He asks her out. She's the one who says yes. Who's proposing to who, right? He proposes the idea of marriage to her. And it's up to her to receive that love, right? There's actually a relationship dynamic that is a part of God's design. Mm -hmm. And I saw that John Paul II was deeply, deeply attuned to this, this, this idea that our sexuality it's something that goes, it's rooted in our biology, but it goes beyond biology and it affects us at the level of the human heart. And that is something that I found seriously lacking when you read most of the marriage books um, that are written out there. Now, I st- so that's my, my professional background can contribute this very important idea to the foundation of marriage. In fact, even in the catechism, it says, 
you know, it's rooted in sexual complementarity. When yeah. it says, oh, why, why are homosexual acts disordered? Well, yeah, they're, they're not procreative, but they also do not proceed from, quote, a genuine, effective complementarity, end mm-hmm. quote. Nobody even knows what that means yeah. in, in the, in the world of psychology today. And, and that's what's really sad. And, um, you know, so for me, it was on the one hand, it was pr- a professional like, hey, this needs to be a part of the conversation. Like if I brought together the top experts, Gottman, uh, Dr. John Gottman, if I brought together Sue Johnson, if I brought together um, Harville and Helen Hendricks, and I, we all got together at a table and I said, okay, on this problem, you say this, you say this, you say this. Here's what John Paul II contributes to this. And it's actually incredibly profound and can make marriage super sweet very quickly. If we, if we start paying attention to this. So, um, so I had this kind of professional idea. I wanted to contribute to the conversation because it's a facet of reality that, that exists. Mm-hmm. That's real, but that, but that they don't want to bring into the, con- either they're totally unaware yeah. because gender is a kind of hot topic, you know, in that field. They don't, they don't have the philosophical background to, to be able to say, Oh yeah, there is such a thing really as masculinity mm-hmm. and femininity. So for me, that was that's the professional angle. Um, there's also a personal angle. If you'd like me to share a little bit about that. Oh yeah, please. Yes. Yeah. So um, so the reason I started reading all these other books was mainly for my own personal enrichment. You know. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man, um, you know, marriage is great in the beginning, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Sometimes I'm like trying to say what I need, but we get into arguments or sometimes fights. And I'm like, oh, this feels so awful. You know, how do we navigate this? And I'm reading these other books. And like, I found that they were okay, like had some helpful points, but they weren't for me personally, like just amazingly helpful. And it's really only when I started um, thinking about some of these things that I read in John Paul that I really started seeing an amazing transformation. So Mm -hmm. let me just give you one example of that. He says in Love and Responsibility that the true test of love is when the beloved person stumbles, hmm. when when we see their weaknesses out in the open. Because like in the beginning, you know, things are very emotional and, you know, everything's going really well. But then, you know, when you live together, we're both fallen human people, yeah, right? Yeah. We have weaknesses. And he says, okay, the true test of love is when you see that. When you see their weaknesses, and he says this, the one who truly loves does not withdraw their love, but yeah. they love even more, um, even in the midst of these shortcomings, even if they're not approving of those shortcomings. So what was really striking to me about his insight is that he's saying we stop doing something we're doing before. We withdraw something. Mm-hmm. And that was a different idea because the other ideas that are out there are, Okay, well, we all need treatment or something. There's some wound in our childhood and, and we have to be hyper focused on that because if we don't, then there's nothing we can do. You know, and I'm all for like, if you want to pursue your personal um, therapy and overcome your own personal wounds, I'm not opposed to that. I think that's great. Um, but sometimes people use that as an excuse never to do anything yeah. or to be blind yeah. to their own contribution to the, pro- to the problems, yeah. right? Um, and then the other idea, that's on the table is, okay, well, you just need to have the right training. You need to have skills, right? And so there's different methods that are like, okay, you can use these skills when you're fighting or whatever. Um, but what John Paul was saying, I thought was very striking, that we used to do things before, and then we stopped doing those things. And mm-hmm. we start doing other things that actually can be harmful to the relationship. And 
um, when I started to compare what he's saying with the data, okay, so one of the things that actually I, I did like about the Gottman Institute is he collected a, a, an enormous amount of data on conflicts and things like this. And he found that women initiate most marriage conflict. Mm. He says 80% of the time when there's a conflict, it's the women who bring it up. And um, the way he's describing these case studies, it sounds like the way that you're trying to desperately get your needs met can come off in a way that's very critical or controlling or complaining. Um, actually, he approves of complaining. I think that there's a better way to share your needs, but we we'll say more on that later. Um, and then as a result, um, the man feels like there's just this barrage of, of criticism or, or complaints thrown at him. And oftentimes he won't react well mm-hmm. to that. He'll either get defensive. He'll feel angry because he's hurt. You know, he's like, why is this woman attacking me? You know, um, and what I found from his studies is that he says there's over 42 years of data that shows there's essentially this kind of sex specific pattern. But he doesn't want to say it's a sex specific pattern, really, yeah. right? Um He says, okay, all marriages seem to follow this. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Maybe women, you know, if we're the ones causing all the conflict because we (laughs) see all these problems, like maybe there's a better way for us to share our needs. And so what I started thinking about is how did I do it back when I was dating and engaged? Mm -hmm. And if I could go back to sharing those things the way I did before, if I could go back to telling my husband what I admire about him, what I love about him, um, that is what I did. Back in the day, if I tell him, oh, here's all the things that I'm really grateful for, if I share my heart in the way that I did at that time, and I give up these other things that I started doing differently, mm-hmm. right, which led to drama, um, I got an amazing response. And I realized, oh, my gosh, this is real. This is real. The complementarity between a man and a woman, the fact that she wants him to pursue her, whatever those needs are. You know, in the beginning, it's nice. Maybe we love flowers, right? Maybe now it's, oh, I need help with the dishes. Now we need help putting those crazy kiddos to bed. Um, I'm exhausted, you know. Um, But it seems like uh, John Paul's insight there was just mind-blowing to me that the things we did before, we stopped doing Mm -hmm. because of fear. Right. We see these shortcomings and we're like, I don't know if I can trust him. And so we criticize or complain or control. Like, I'll just give you one little quick example. There was one wife who had reached out to me and she's like, we're always getting into fights. And I'm like, "Okay, well, tell me what's going on. And she's like, well, he suspends all weekend long doing these household projects. And he's like, takes forever. And he doesn't really I think he doesn't know how to do it the right way. And he's going back and forth. And I and I said, "Okay, well, what do you want? Why does this bother you? And she's like, well. I want to go jogging on Saturday, and if he's just, you know, tinkering around, figuring everything out, he's, you know, I'm going to have to just watch the baby, and I never get a break. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, so you're afraid, right? And and so you feel that you have to criticize his judgment, right? You're criticizing his approach to how to, you know, do this household work. But you know what you can do? You can actually just skip over that whole part where you criticize and just go straight to your desire. You could say, hey, honey, I'd really like to um, go jogging on Saturday. And so I said, look, what happens is our fears can oftentimes be tied to our desires. Why? Because we've withdrawn that trust in his goodness. We're not sure he'll really come through for us, right? That's the question in the woman's heart. Mm-hmm. Are, are you really going to come through for me? I don't know if I can trust you with this, with the kids, with the way you decided to do something. But so what I, one of the things I share is how to untie those fears 
from your desires. And here's what happened. I said, you could just share with him, hey, I, you know, I really would like to have um, some time to go jogging Saturday. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll watch the kid. <laughs> and that was it. Problem solved. Yeah. And so yeah. this fight that they had all week long and the feeling cold and distant, it all came because she was sort of trying to control the way he did things rather than to share her own desire. Mm-hmm. And so these are just the kind of simple things um, that I share uh, with wives that, that cause a dramatic transformation in their marriages they did for me. And that's why I'm like, I can't even sleep at night just like knowing what I know now because I want to share it because I think God really wants our marriages to be beautiful. He wants man and woman to love each other in the way that we're designed yeah. Wow. That, that was a great explanation. I'm curious. Let me just remind everybody, this is the Good News Show. It's Memorial Day, so hope you're having a good day. Remember to pray for those who have fallen and uh, protected our freedoms. Uh, Dr. Irene Alexander is an assistant professor of moral theology at the University of Dallas, and she has founded Adored for Life, a ministry that offers tools to help keep marriages strong and to be a resource for those who may be secretly struggling. And I'm, you know, when you said 80% of the conflict in marriage, uh, begins with, uh, the wife, there's, you know, something that, <clears throat> that part of men are like, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. I'm just wondering, <laughs> there you go. I like that. High five. Yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering from Rowena, especially your perspective, uh, does that strike you as like, wait a second? No, it's the man or, or does that be like, eh, that's probably right. How, how does that strike you? I mean, I think it's, Pretty, pretty accurate to just my personal life and my situation with yeah. my husband. So Stanley and I are in a unique situation because we've been together for 22 years. And I'm mm-hmm. including all the years that we dated in high school to now being mar- married. We'll be celebrating 13 years in November. Yeah. So we've been together a long time and we've literally grown up together. But I will say, because I'm a very strong outgoing and you know highly willful person um yeah a lot of our struggles are i mean i initiate them yeah. <laughs> i'm i i am very emotional and i definitely wear my heart on my sleeve but the the saying is absolutely true um <laughs> a happy wife is a happy life yeah and yeah. stanley um you know we've been together all this this time but it wasn't really until we had children that the strength of our marriage was truly tested yeah and he just, he understood, you know, he, our parish has great, um, weekend retreats that they offer. They have this thing called Christ Renews His Parish Church yeah, for those of yeah, you. Yeah, know. right, right. And, um, early in my motherhood, my season of motherhood, I only had two young children. He was like, okay, I understand that you want to go to this weekend retreat. You know nothing about it. I know nothing about it, but I understand you need this to just like, unplug and disconnect and just like fill your soul because you look so broken right now you're saying i really i was like i can't i don't even know who i was when i had two young boys Mm -hmm. at home with them full time i i i kind of lost myself in that and 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 we had marital conflicts of course but also just i wasn't like the loving fun vivacious mom that i know i could have been because i was just exhausted so stanley just he took it upon himself don't worry about the house don't worry about the boys don't worry about all of our events just go go to this retreat and so i say that we are in a unique position because stanley just figured it out on his own like i needed that time so that i could be like 100 to him and to everybody else yeah Yeah. so smart guy yeah very wise guy but but i mean uh, you know not everybody is blessed in that and and I, I was saying early on like this is so so badly needed i think for people who are secretly struggling and don't realize that this is kind of the the recipe for for success mm-hmm. yeah 
Can I, oh, did you want to respond to that? I just or? want to say that this is, was also my experience when I became a mom because I also, you know, I wanted to just throw myself wholeheartedly into my motherhood mm-hmm. and, you know, because I love my children. I, you know, but of course, like, you know, you, you're not sleeping very well, maybe sometimes for years, right? So women can become extremely um, exhausted. Yeah, yeah. And then we become yeah. irritable, cranky. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> hello. That was, <laughs> asked my husband. That's not what I was. Um, exhibit so, A, right? Yeah. Exhibit yeah. A. These yeah. were, and you know, it's because you have such a loving heart. And also, you know, there's a kind of aspect to the feminine genius, like that we're so intuitive about our kids' needs mm-hmm. that we're constantly seeing what they are, responding to them, right? And sometimes, like, this can make wives feel resentful because they see that their husband doesn't intuit their kids' needs in the same way that they do. And so instead of saying, oh, hey, so-and-so needs this, you're already angry with him secretly, you know? And I that was me, right? I was like, oh, you're not doing this, or oh, how come you didn't notice whatever, right? And all of a sudden, I'm launching this barrage of complaints, and poor guy, he didn't even know what I wanted. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, right. And so right. one thing that would have been a great help is for me to realize, oh, this is a part of my genius as a woman, that yeah. I have this deep intuition about my children, and if I need help or I need some other contribution, um, that I need to voice that in a loving way and not by launching this barrage of complaints. And also that, I, you know, yeah, my husband does want me to be happy. And so, you know, I needed somebody to, not to tell me, hey, love is not a feeling. Hey, love is sacrifice. I needed somebody to tell me, hey, are you overgiving? Yeah. Do you need to take a break and rest and feel renewed and be that happy, fun-loving wife? You know, because what happens? You draw your husband's natural affection towards you when you're like fun and inviting and excited, right? All of a sudden, those natural, genuine, effective complementarity happens mm-hmm. when you cultivate your own emotional life, right? And that's not what's being, I don't hear priests talk about that. You know, I don't typically hear, um, I just don't typically hear that. The, the advice that I needed that would have made a f- concrete difference in my life Nobody was saying those things. Yeah. Let me ask you, somebody may say, gosh, you're playing into stereotypes that all men want to be admired and women want to be adored. And this sounds like 1950, but hey, we're in 2021 and, you know, we're, you know, nobody knows, you know, some people don't even know what sex they are. And there's the, the, the feminist movement and the sexual revolution. And, you know, this seems a little old fashioned. What would you say to that argument? And how have those movements like feminism and, and the sexual revolution, uh, you know, perhaps created a, a, some of the mess that we're in today? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to respond to that. Such a great question. And what I would say is, let's, first of all, consult your own heart, you know, see, see if this is true. And to me, it seems like women really do yearn for this. They mm-hmm. yearn to be pursued in their marriages, right? Even before you're married, and, and I don't know if, if you want to come in on this, but there's an <laughs> ache in every woman's heart, right? To yeah. be the bride, right? Yeah. This is what John Paul was saying over and over in his, in his, um, you know, in his works, is that this is not something that's just arbitrary, but it belongs to the very nature of the human heart. And ask yourself, you know, um, is that really true? You know, do I have this ache? In my heart, and you know where I really heard this is when I when I listened to the stories of those who were struggling, because in in many different manifestations of this, what they're basically saying is, I no longer feel pursued and loved in my yeah. marriage. He's not listening to my what I'm trying to tell him, right? He's getting angry and not talking to me, right? He's doing this other thing, right? And it seems to me that 
it's not just an old-fashioned thing. It's rooted in our nature as being a woman, right? Mm-hmm. And a man also deeply yearns for that, for that admiration, for that respect, for the woman who really knows his heart the most to be like, you are an amazing man, right? You you come through for me. You're like the hero of my heart. Like that resonates with a man, right? Yeah. And so when you... You know, if the focus is like, oh, I, we need to go back and just let's just focus on our childhood issues. And, you know, there's a, there's a way in which you kind of can look at your husband like he's a wounded puppy, you know, and it's like that's not how he wants you to look at him. Right. He wants you to see that he's this amazing guy who outdid everybody else and won your heart. And if you want to have that rhythm of love again and again in your marriage, there's things you can do that that initiate that rhythm of love. Um, and it's incredible. And it doesn't have to take that long. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Sissel, did you want to jump in, or the I, the, the, the the single one amongst us? Hi. Yeah. Learning, are you yearning to be a bride? So <laughs> yeah. That's what I want. To <laughs> I mean, no, definitely. I I do feel that. I think that most young women do. Um, I would just be curious what when you're single and maybe you're maybe looking for a relationship like what are these are all great tips and stuff like that but what can i as a woman can i be working on now before i'm actually in a relationship with a man that would be my question yeah yeah that's treat that's, your boss nicely <laughs> <laughs> oh well that's unfortunately i can't do that <laughs> yeah that's so beautiful and um i would say the number one thing would be to recognize first of all your own self-worth because this is something, an area where women can often struggle. We don't feel worthy of love. Um, and so um, it can happen where actually we end up pushing away the kind of intimacy that we crave because we don't really recognize our worth, right? And, and actually, um, I think this is one of the reasons why women give themselves to other people sexually before marriage is because there is that ache to be loved, mm. That you know, remember back the quote I shared from John Paul, right? Women want to be loved. Yeah. The direct there's a direction. In other words, there's like a relationship physics. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's real, but this is not something that ever is a part of the conversation. Um, you know, from from other books and things like that, right? So I think that you know, one thing that you can do as a woman is first of all to grow deeper in love with God, so that you understand your own worth. You know, and, and there is a role of the family here. Oftentimes it's, it is really is the father who, who shows that love to his daughter. So he know, she knows that she's precious, mm-hmm. right? If you don't know that you're precious, you start taking that question somewhere else. Yeah. This guy, I want you to tell me that I'm lovable because you don't know it. Right, right. You're not really sure. So, you know, growing in that awareness that, yeah, you are the beauty. You are the beauty who is worthy of being pursued and adored. Right? I think that's what women need to hear, you know, and, and something that we really struggle with. We're, you know, look at open up women's magazines. It's all about, um, you know, how do we have, how do we make ourselves more beautiful, more attractive, more appealing, right? Because that's a question that's on our hearts. Like, am I the beauty that is, who is worthy of being pursued and adored? And if you stand in that, right? If you, if you take the time to grow in, your relationship with God, if you have fun friendships, you cultivate, you know, healthy um, friendships with, with guys, you go on dates. You know, I think part of the reason that we have such a promiscuity problem also is because we don't know how to have fun mm-hmm. anymore. We don't yeah. even know, like, uh, and, you know, and the guys are kind of afraid, too, that they're afraid to ask yeah. a girl out because look at this. Um, look at the, the power imbalance here. Right, you know, there's actually right. a real power imbalance that's written into nature, right? He 
is like, is she going to say yes to me? Right. That takes courage on his part to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to walk across that room to this amazingly beautiful woman who captivates my heart. And I'm going to say, hey, can we get together for coffee? Right. (laughs) That is a that's a lot of courage. And that's amazing. Um, You know, and for the woman also to say to be courageous and like, look, if he's not worthy of you, say no to him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very nice. I think we're about to run out of time, but I do want uh, a lot of people are listening and saying, wow, that resonates with me and I want to learn more. Uh, what, what are you doing with the Adored for Life? Uh, is this uh, you teaching it at the university level? Are you no. counseling uh, women only couples? Okay. Uh, well, how can people yeah, touch you know, uh, yeah, benefit from what you're doing? Yes. Okay, so just to be clear, this is not something I do at UD or is any way okay. related to it. It's a completely independent company that I founded okay. um, for the sake of making this difference in people's lives that I know it can make because yeah. it's really rooted in how how we yearn to be loved, right? So there's basically three ways to engage with my content. And the first is free. It's, I just make podcasts where I'm sharing a little bit at a time, um, different aspects of, of this. So like, what does complementarity look like when you're in a conflict? Mm-hmm. You know, how can you um, share your desire in such a way that your husband listens to what you're saying and um, starts thinking of the best possible ways to come through for you? Right. I show women how to do that. Right. Yeah. It's really amazing um, because you think about how does complementarity apply in conflict. So I, I share all these podcasts. You can just listen in. They're on my website, which is adoredforlife.com. You can find them there. The second kind of level that I you can engage with is I'm putting together an online course. All the content is there. You can see the outline. Um, it's probably the most fun class I've ever put together. Um, question, there's a whole section like, how do you get your husband to do things? Um, <laughs> why women Very need, yeah. yes, why women yeah. need tenderness and how to get it, mm. right? One of the things John Paul says is that women have a much deeper need for tenderness in marriage. Um, and that they have, a, he says they have a quote, special right to it in marriage. So I'm like, mm. hmm, how do, how did I do that back when I was engaged? And I show you exactly how to do it, right? Yeah. Um, so I have a whole course. So you can sign up. We're putting it together this summer. Um, and it's, it's a class you can, uh, it's just for wives and moms. So I only, um, work with wives and moms. I could tell you a little bit about why I do that in, in a minute. And then the last thing I do is I also do, um, one-on-one coaching. Okay. So just to be clear, coaching is something very different from counseling. Counseling usually involves a type of, you know, therapy. Um, you go to school specifically for that. What I'm doing in coaching is I am, um, encouraging you to use these aspects of your feminine genius to um, to very naturally uh, attract your husband towards you and to get your own needs met and to fulfill his heart at the mm-hmm. same time. So I challenge you in areas where, uh, you know, to grow in those areas. Like, you know, for example, I was just having a conversation with someone else a few minutes ago. Um, this one husband was saying, oh yeah, women, like they, they want to have a break, but they don't want to trust us with the kids, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, this is, yeah. and so look at what you're saying. You're saying, oh no, I really need this break. You never give me this break, but it's like, honey, just take the break you know, mm-hmm. that you need. And she's like, well, you won't do things the right way. Yeah. Right. You don't, I don't trust you. And when you say, I don't trust you, I don't think you're capable. You're basically telling your husband that you don't really love him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because for a man, uh, he needs to know that you think he's capable, that you trust him with something that is important, right? Um, And so, you know, there's a lot of ways where we can um, move the relationship forward. In fact, the first, uh, one of the first clients I coached 
it was a very bad situation. She was like, six months ago, I would have want to worked on this, but now I'm ready to um, throw in the towel for sure. We're going to get divorced. And I coached with her one session and she came back to, and wrote me this email in, with the title. And I, and I love this title, which she said, it, she said, moving forward, yeah, moving forward. Yeah. And that's what I do. I look at where you are and I say, here's the options you have for moving forward. It's up to you. I'm just showing you the options that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not telling you what to do. In fact, in coaching, we don't tell you what to do, right? We challenge you to grow. We make you aware of the possibilities for moving forward. And when you do that, you kind of reclaim your own agency. And that's what I think is so beautiful. And and one of the reasons I do work only with wives, there's a couple reasons. Um, one is that in the relationship, men pursue us, mm-hmm. right? So they have to, number one, know what we want. They also have to, we have to give them the freedom to be able to pursue us. We have to not be constantly criticizing them. We also yeah. have to receive the love they want to give us. And then to fulfill a man's heart, um, we also have to know how to be respectful and how to tell him how much we love and admire him. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot that a woman can really do that very naturally yeah. restores that rhythm of love, that complementarity.